Good morning, everybody. The psalmist wrote, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And we look out the window this morning, and some of us are not rejoicing. Some of us are not happy that it's raining. But this is the day that God has made. God has made this day to rain on central Pennsylvania. God has made this day to provide something that we need. God provides us with water. He provides us with water so that we don't go thirsty. He provides us with water so that our plants can grow, so our vegetables can grow, so we can water our horses and we can water our cows and we can do all of those things because God made this day the way that he made it. And we should be rejoicing and be glad, even in the rain, even when we're dodging the raindrops, even when our sons don't drop us off underneath of the carport and they make us walk in all wet, we should be rejoicing. Uh, before we get started this morning, uh, I want to talk a little bit about church membership. It is that time of year again. We are going to be uh, hopefully adding some new members to uh, Morning Hour Chapel. First of all, I want to let you know that anybody... 16 years of age or older is eligible to become a member of Morning Hour Chapel, and that's part of the Brethren in Christ uh, governing document. Anybody age 16 or older is able to join. And I have people ask me sometimes, um, or not even ask me, they might just tell me, well, I don't think that church membership is necessary. I'm a Christian, I don't have to belong to a church. <laughs> And you know what? They might be right. The way that membership is done in a lot of churches is not necessarily found in the Bible. But what is found in the Bible is a commitment to a local body of believers. And we make that commitment. We're going to say that we are going to worship with them. We're going to say that we are going to pray with them. We're going to study scripture with them. We're going to visit them when they're sick. We're going to cook meals for them when they've just had a baby and they have no energy whatsoever to, to, to do those things. We have a group of people that are going to take care of each other. And then while we're taking care of each other, we're going to go out into the world and we are going to spread the gospel. We are going to tell people about Jesus Christ and we're going to do it together because together we have strength. Our faith is strengthened when we have a body of believers that we regularly worship with. Now, church membership is something a little bit different than that. It is all of those things, but it is not just a commitment to a local church body. It is a commitment to making decisions about what our church is going to do. We make decisions as members about things like how we're going to use the offerings that we bring in on a weekly basis. How are we going to best use those things to steward them for God's kingdom? How are we going to make sure that those funds are not wasted? We do those things. We also uh, have certain positions in the church where church membership is required to serve. If you want to be a deacon, we want you to be a member of the church. If you want to uh, be on the church board, we want you to be a member of the church. And all of these things are crucial to helping us 
to make those day-to-day -day decisions. I don't think of church, I don't think of morning hour chapel as a business, but I do think of it as stewarding God's resources. And there are requirements, our denomination has requirements with regards to who can make certain decisions about how we use those resources. It also allows you, if you're even not serving on one of those committees, if you're not serving as a deacon, if you're not serving on the board, it is still allows you to vote, to hear what is being planned and to say, hey, I agree with that, or uh, let's slow down a minute, let's talk about this. So uh, we're gonna have a new membership Sunday on November 19th, which is also the uh, morning of our Thanksgiving luncheon. We're going to welcome new members. If you are interested in becoming a member of Morning Hour Chapel, you're not a member yet, and you are interested in becoming one, please come and talk to me after church. I'm also going to be sending out an email later this week, uh, just reminding everybody that, that membership is coming up. There's some things I want to send out to you, things I want you to take a look at, to read, um, and to consider as you consider becoming a member of Morning Hour Chapel. But this morning, we are continuing our sermon series. We're, we've titled it, What to Expect When You're Christianing. And of course, if you have been a new mother or even a new father, you might have read that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. It tells you a lot of things that are going to happen. And it's written by someone who has knowledge of pregnancy, and the things that go on inside the woman's body, the preparations you have to make and all of these things. And we, I titled this What to Expect While You're Christianing because the Bible is our book that tells us what God wants from us and what God wants for us. And we take a look at scripture and we, we discover that there are a lot of things maybe that we don't know. If you've never read the Bible from cover to cover, if you've never read it through all the way once, you don't know some of the things that God expects of us. And I want to encourage you, and I'm going to encourage you all throughout this sermon, to read and study Scripture, to know who God is, to know what God wants from us. But what we're looking at specifically today is in the book of James. The book of James, many believe, is the most concise book on Christian living in the entire New Testament. And over the past two weeks, we've looked at James and we've seen that he's given instructions on how to overcome trials and how to overcome temptations as we live in strange cultures that might have us acting contrary to what God wants for us and from us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, starting with verse 19. And we're going to see James starting to confront the people that he's writing to. You might remember that James is writing to Christians. They're Christians that are scattered across the known world. And we're going to start reading from James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God.
James says that anger doesn't produce righteousness, and it's a good message for us, considering how angry we tend to get at many, many, many things. In our house, sometimes we get angry with each other, and we have what we call intense fellowship. Have you ever had intense fellowship in your house? Intense fellowship is our big fancy Christian words for fighting. Anybody ever had a fight in your house? Mom fights with dad, dad fights with mom, mom and dad fight with the kids, kids fight with each other, right? There's some disagreement about something and what follows is frustration and then we get angry and then we get loud and we start seeing imaginary laser beams shooting out of people's eyes. It's like really, really intense and we get this anger and how many of you ever really feel good about being angry? None of us feel good about being angry, but it happens. It's one of those emotions that can be triggered by any of a number of things. But James here, he's talking about anger, but he's not talking about just relational anger. He's not just talking about the way we treat each other when one of us does something that the other doesn't like. What James is talking about here, and we need to look at this as we study, as we study the Bible. We want to look at this in context. We want to see what's James really talking about here. And we go back to verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And you've heard me say this a couple of times if you've been here for, for a while. You've heard me say that we need to take a look at this word therefore. Anytime we see the word therefore in scripture, we need to know what the therefore is there for. That's what we need to look at. James is not making disconnected statements here. James is actually connecting anger with something else. And we're going to take a look at the context here. You remember that in AD 45 to 50, when Christians were dispersed across the known world, they were being persecuted. They were running away from Jerusalem so they wouldn't die, so they wouldn't be put in prison. And they were settling down in these new places. And these places, again, had cultures that were strange to them. They didn't know a lot about the culture, but they knew that there were cultural things that were pulling them or trying to pull them away from God, trying to pull them away from being disciples of Jesus Christ. And they would gather in houses. They didn't have church buildings like this one. They actually gathered in people's houses. And I've been, uh, I've been a, a member and a leader of a couple of house churches. And it's a completely different kind of feel if you're in a house church. Anybody ever like done house church before? Yeah. It's completely different. And back then, it was even more different than it is today. Today, we have the Bible. We have the New Testament. Back then, they did not have the gospel written down. They did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, and Romans, and all of those. In fact, the book of James was the first book of the New Testament that was written. 
This is what historians tell us. This is the first time anybody wrote anything about how to live the Christian life. And when you went to house church, you had to listen to people talk about Jesus Christ. You had to listen to them talk about the way that Jesus taught us to live. And what James is talking about in this passage is that when people come together to hear the word of God preached, to hear the gospel of Christ taught, he's saying, don't get angry about it. And most of us look at this and say, well, why would we ever get angry about the gospel? Why would we ever get angry about the things that are in the New Testament? But it was happening for various reasons, and James doesn't go into all of the reasons, but he does tell us what happens because of this anger. James is talking about being receptive to the word of God. Be quick to hear the word of God. Be quick to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to it. Let it flow into your head. Let it flow into your mind. And let it get into your heart. He's saying be quick to listen for God's word. And be slow to speak. If you hear something that offends you about the gospel, if you hear something that just makes you angry, think about why you're angry. Think about what it is that is causing that emotion because we all know anger comes from some sort of a trigger, something that we disagree with. James is not saying don't respond. James is not saying don't go up to the pastor after the sermon and say, you know what, I'm confused about this, or you know what, I never heard this taught like this. I've always heard it like this, and I agree this way, not your way. It's okay to do those things, and I welcome you. If you ever hear anything from up here that you disagree with or that upsets you, please come and talk to me. But be slow to speak. Think, of, think about those things before you speak. And that's what he's saying. Be slow to speak, be slow to anger. And... Then he goes on to tell us why we react in anger. Why do we react in anger? And that's what the therefore is there for. James says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Why do people get upset when they hear somebody talking about the Bible? Why do they get upset when they hear somebody talking about Jesus Christ or what he has taught us to do? James is saying here, it's likely that you're getting angry with the word of God because you're hearing something that goes against something that you want to do. And that something that you want to do Possibly is filthiness and rampant wickedness. Whatever it is. And I got to tell you, when I sit in church services, when, when, when Wendy and I are just able to go and able to sit, and somebody tells me or preaches something that I know I have a problem with, I don't like it. How many of you guys like hearing things that you are already having issues with and then the preacher like starts talking about it? 
Nobody likes that. We start getting upset. We start tuning the word of God out because we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear that we're doing something filthy. We don't want to hear that we are engaging in rampant wickedness. James is saying, instead of reacting in anger, receive the word with meekness. And again, that's not saying don't disagree. That's not saying don't go and talk to the pastor or whatever. What he's saying is receive the word. Receive God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ with meekness. Be humble about it. If you are upset about something that's being said, think about why. Why am I upset? I have to do that often. One of the greatest challenges facing Christ's church today is preachers that won't talk about God's word. They won't talk about sin. They won't talk about the things that are filthy and the wickedness that is rampant. They just won't talk about it. They won't preach that sin has destroyed and continues to destroy our souls and that the meekness of listening to God's word has the ability to save our souls. Most of the time, they don't preach sin at all. I have sat in churches where it sounds like a motivational speaker is just telling you how to live your best life or how God wants you to prosper all the time. And if you're not prospering, you're doing something wrong. But it's not sin. 2022, uh, Barna Research is a big research uh, organization. They did a poll and found that 77% of self-described Christians agree with this statement. People are basically good. And Christians are hearing that being preached. People are basically good. I've read my Bible. My Bible says there is none righteous. No, not even one. We're not basically good. We're basically bad. That's what I read in my Bible. And I'm sure it's what you read in yours. Our very nature is one of sin and death of the soul. And yet there are preachers that don't want to preach that we're bad because we might hurt somebody's feelings because they won't come back to our church if we preach that there is such a thing as sin, that there is such a thing as filthiness, that there is such a thing as rampant wickedness. I saw one pastor on Facebook. I, I belong to a bunch of pastor Facebook groups. And I saw one pastor on, uh, said, said this. He said, we don't preach against sin. He's talking about his church. The pastors that are in his, we don't preach against sin. And anybody who is preaching against sin right now is not sure of himself. And he's right. I am hardly ever sure of myself. I am hardly, when I get up here, I am hardly ever sure of myself. But do you know what I'm sure of? I'm sure that God is going to let the Holy Spirit help me to speak to you. He is going to help me to write these sermons that I preach. And you know what? Sometimes I decide not to listen to the Holy Spirit, and I get it wrong, and people get upset, and they come and tell me. And I say, you know what? You're right, and I'm sorry. And then I go back, and I say, okay, Holy Spirit, i got to rely on you more. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit when I'm preparing and preaching a sermon. And it's a great thing that he's there. 
to guide us. If you sit down with your Bible, you get a cup of coffee in the morning, you sit down with your Bible, and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead you through Scripture, there are some amazing things that are going to happen. There are some amazing things that you are going to learn about the nature of God and the nature of humanity and the nature of the relationship that God wants to have with us. And that's a great thing. And it's also a good thing because I read in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 13, pastors are going to give account to God for the people under their leadership. I am thankful that the Holy Spirit is here to help me. I am thankful to give that part over and say, tell me what to say, tell me what to write. Because I'm going to be held accountable. And this idea of preaching what people want to hear instead of preaching what they need to hear, it's not anything new. It happened when James wrote his letter. It happened when Paul, 20 years later, was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. By having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I don't know if any of you have seen the video of the church that was reciting the Sparkle Creed. The Sparkle Creed basically says that homosexuality is not a sin. It is a perfect lifestyle that God wants us to live. Being trans is okay. And there's, it's just, it's this whole, thing. and they say it. Every church service, just like we used to say the Apostles' Creed before every church service. People have found teachers to suit their own passions. They don't want to look at the Bible. They want a preacher to get up there and tell them you're a-okay. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. God loves you anyway. And guess what? He does. God loves us anyway. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's pleased with us. And isn't that the goal of living a Christian life is to live a life that is pleasing to God? We read this, and this is stuff that Paul wrote. We read in 1937, a book was written called The Cost of Discipleship, written by a German theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I love this book. If you ever have a chance to read The Cost of Discipleship, read The Cost of Discipleship. It was written at a time when the church was being pulled away from God in favor of being pulled toward Adolf Hitler and the state church. It is an absolutely incredible book. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that churches weren't preaching against sin. Churches weren't preaching that it is wrong to persecute whole groups of people just for being those groups of people. They weren't preaching that God wants us. And he said, and this is a quote, a church that doesn't preach against sin presents the world with a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required. 
still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. In 50, 60, 70 AD, we're looking for people that will confirm what we want to believe about ourselves, not what we believe about Jesus Christ. In 1937, we had churches that are preaching. You don't have to ask forgiveness. You don't have to be sorry. You can continue to live in sin because you know why? God will always forgive you of your sin, and it doesn't matter. And I've got to tell you this. Yes, God will forgive us from our sin when we are repentant. When we are repentant. Not, I'm going to go out every Saturday night, I'm going to get blind, stinking drunk, I'm going to go home with somebody and sleep with them, and then get up Sunday morning, go to church, and ask God to forgive me, and then do it all over again. That's not grace. What Paul is saying, what, what James is saying, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying is without sin, why do we even need God? And that's what the world today is saying. We don't need God because everything is right. We don't need God because whatever you want to be is what you can be. You can be a unicorn, and you can be a cat, and you can be a girl, and you can be a boy, and you can be this, and you can be that. There's no such thing as sin in the world anymore, according to these people. And we know that is a lie. Churches that don't instruct on putting away filthiness, on putting away rampant wickedness, on being told, of telling people, you're basically good, you're fine. They are not making Christian disciples. They are not making Christians. James says that's not how we develop Christian disciples. We need to hear God's word, and we need to let God's word have authority over our actions. We need to let God tell us what we're supposed to be doing and then do it. And he goes on, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. If you're just going to listen to a sermon on Sunday morning and then go home and do whatever you want to do and not really care what God wants, you're deceiving yourself. I'm deceiving myself if I do that. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his nat natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Have you ever looked at yourself in a mirror? I've looked at myself in a mirror. It's not so much that I forget, it's that I want to forget what I look like. But that's what James is saying. He's likening this to us. We could look in a mirror. We could look and we could, we could look at everything that's going on in our face and our hair and we see when the, the hairs are all wispy and running all over the place and not doing what they want and we can see the, the nose hairs coming out of our nose and we can see all these things, these blemishes and everything. And then as soon as we walk away, 
Even if we were world-class artists, I don't think we could draw ourselves. We forget what we look like. And that's what James is saying here. If we come to church and we hear the word of God every Sunday, and then we go home and forget it by Sunday night, we are deceiving ourselves into believing that we are living for God. James is saying, you can examine, you can read, you can hear. But if you don't do, then it's worthless. We step into the church building on Sunday mornings. And we hear the word of God. And I pray that every church building has the word of God being preached. If we hear the word of God and then we go home and we study our Bibles on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, don't think you get Sunday off because you come to church. But if we go home and we examine those things and then we put them into practice, then we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Then we have the right to call ourselves believers. Not just Christians, but believers. I believe that Jesus has the best way for me, and I'm going to do that thing. James confirms this in verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, and what he's saying here when he says looks into, that's not like we look into things. Oh, I'm going to go look into that. He's talking about gazing into the perfect law, gazing into God's word, studying it, absorbing it. When we look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and we persevere, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I am a teacher. It is much easier for me to be able to have a student be able to do something if I have them do it. Not just if I stand up and point to a screen and say, okay, this is how you calculate this and this is how you draw this graph. All right, go home. We've got to practice. We've got to do. And God is going to bless us in the doing. Our life will be richer in Jesus Christ because we have put into practice that which God has instructed us to do. And this is the message of James 1. Up to this point, the whole thing, the trials, the temptations, all of those things. James is telling us the solution here. When we face trials, when we face persecutions, we can overcome them by doing the word of God. Not just listening to it. Not just hearing it. Not even just reading it. We got to do it. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I used to learn this as being memorized Bible verses. This is not what it means. Memorizing Bible verses is not hiding God's word in your heart. It's hiding it in your head. When we hide God's word in our hearts, it means that we know what God wants from us. And we are hiding that word so that we are ready to apply it to every trial. So we're ready to apply it to every 
temptation so that we might not sin against God. That's why Paul calls the word of God a sword. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He talks about the whole armor of God and he talks about taking the sword, which is the word of God. The sword is the only offensive weapon that Paul mentions in the whole armor of God. It is the thing that we are supposed to wield against our trials. It is the thing we are supposed to use to cut down our temptations so that we don't sin against him. God's word is the only weapon that we can wield against trials. Jesus said, in this world you will have trials, you will have troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. You know what Jesus is called in John chapter 1? The Word. God's Word is the only weapon that we can wield against temptation. Satan knows the Word of God. He has every verse memorized, and he used that against Jesus. When he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, Satan came at him with scripture after scripture after scripture. And do you know what Jesus did? He removed the sword of the word from his heart, and he used it with wisdom and understanding. He just didn't use the words. He used what the words meant. And he defeated temptation. And when we start using Bible verses just wildly and especially against other people, and we don't know what those words mean, we don't understand what God is trying to say to us through them, we're just using the words, we're doing exactly what Satan did. We're just using the Bible as some sort of a weapon to prove a point. We're trying to use the Bible as a weapon to, and we think that it's going to change people's minds. We need to understand God's word. We need to use it with wisdom. Jesus didn't just have passages of scripture memorized so that he could prove a point. He hid God's word in his heart so that he could deflect the half-truths of Satan. He could de de deflect the whole lie of Satan. Many of us have what we call and what a lot of Christians will call life verses. It's okay to have a life verse. It's okay to be able to point to something in scripture and say, I really can latch on to that. One of my favorite life scriptures is, we do not have a high priest who is unwilling to sympathize with us, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we have been yet without sin. And because he was without sin, I can approach the throne of grace boldly and ask for grace and mercy when I need them. That's my life passage. That's the thing I cling to. But it's not enough. We cannot live our lives by life verses. We need to live our life by all the verses. 
We need to live our lives by God's word. We can't just memorize verses without understanding them and expect to strike down trials and temptations. We need to hide God's word in our heart like a scabbard for a sword is our heart and we take God's word and we hide it. We store God's word in our hearts so that we are prepared to unsheathe it and wield it against our trials and our temptations all the time. Or as Paul puts it, we keep alert with all perseverance. We need to do the word of God. We need to swing it against our trials and temptations. We need to act in obedience to its commands. And when we prayerfully read and study the Bible with the Holy Spirit guiding our study, we can start to understand who God is. We can start to understand what kind of relationship he wants to have with us. We can understand what he wants from us and what he wants for us. When we prayerfully read and study the Bible with the Spirit guiding our study, we can start to understand how we please God with our lives. And if we are living a life that is pleasing God with our lives, people are going to notice. People are going to see it. People are going to wonder what is up with Tori. She's not getting angry when the kids spill the milk. She's not fighting with her husband because he forgot to get gas in the car. What is up with Tori? And Tori can then say, I'm living my life according to the word of God. And the word of God tells me that I shouldn't get angry with people just because something happens that I don't like, but I should have grace with them. I should be merciful towards them. And you know what? I want to have grace with you too. I want to be merciful to you too. I want to share what I have, this life that Jesus Christ has given me. I want to share that with you. I want to tell you about it. That's how you get people interested in talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we want to overcome trials, if we want to overcome temptations, we need to know the word of God and we need to receive it with meekness, with humility, and with prayer. Somebody came up to me last week, said, you know that sermon that you were preaching? It sounded like you wrote that, like you were sitting in my living room watching my life. Okay. I wasn't. But the Holy Spirit was. And maybe the Holy Spirit told me to write those things down and to say those things because you needed to hear it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has me write things down and preach things because I need to hear it. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. We need to take God's word, hide it in our heart, understand it, study it, know it. so that we can be like Christ. And that is what he wants. Jesus Christ wants us to be like him.
And that's the witness that's going to change the world. It's going to change your world. It's going to change the world of the people who live in your world, in your circle, in your sphere of influence. They're going to look at you and say, what is wrong with you? Why are you so different? And then we can share that word with them, not wielding it like a weapon, but sharing it with them in grace, in mercy. When we do that, we're going to see people come to God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that you inspired over 40 people, over 15, 16, 1700 years to write down what you wanted us to know. To write down how it is that we can best live a life for you, that we can best serve you, that we can best worship you, and that we can best serve one another so that we can minister to the poor, so that we can minister to someone who's depressed, someone who's angry. We can share Jesus Christ with them through your word. Father, help us to examine our lives collectively and individually. Help us to find time, make time to get into your word, to get into scripture, to start understanding it, to start learning it, and then to start with wisdom to do it. We thank you, Father, and we thank you for the rain. We thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for everything that you give us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Be doers of God's word and not hearers only. Walk out of this building. Take what you have heard this morning. Use it. Do it. Don't just go home and forget about it for another week and then come back next Sunday. Study your Bible. Read it. Start to know it so that you can use it to fight the trials and temptations that you will face this week. God bless you.